Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Luka Doncic doesn't really think about the NBA, and Luka Doncic is always thinking about the NBA. First off, it's necessary. He's still in the middle of his season with Real Madrid. But it's almost impossible to not think about it while he's also being considered one of the top prospects in the 2018 NBA draft. Yes, we've heard this narrative before regarding a European prospect, and it hasn't always ended well. Darko Milicic getting picked before Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade in 2003 still echoes through every story coming to the NBA through Europe. Doncic has heard those stories too, and he's ready for any criticism you want to throw at him because he's not interested in proving anyone wrong. He just wants to play the game. Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN senior writer Amita Kimes as we talk about the evolution of Europe's latest superstar in the making. Now we present Luka Doncic is no Darko Milicic by Mina Kimes. Luka Doncic is no Darko Milicic by Mina Kimes. For a while, the story of Luka Doncic seemed like a myth. The tale of a blonde basketball demigod with supernatural mental and physical powers, a six-foot-eight Slovenian teenager whose name was whispered only in the nerdiest corners of the NBA internet. While his highlights occasionally trickled across the Atlantic, circulating among draft obsessives like contraband, they never made waves beyond those circles. Outside of Europe, Doncic was still an abstraction, a set of inscrutable numbers paired with a name. Then, in September, he came face to face with Kristaps Porzingis, and his fabled existence suddenly felt real. Last year, national teams across Europe met at Eurobasket, a tournament that draws NBA veterans back to their home countries. Doncic, then 18 years old, joined Slovenia's team, which was led by Miami Heat guard Goran Dragic. When Slovenia played Latvia in the quarterfinals, Doncic and Porzingis went shot for shot. Then halfway through the fourth quarter, the two crossed paths, and for a moment, time stopped. Doncic dribbled between his legs, sizing up the towering Knicks center like a mathematician, staring at a problem scrawled on a blackboard. Porzingis extended one rubbery arm. After a seemingly interminable pause, Doncic, known locally as Wonder Boy, dashed past the future all-star and made a one-handed layup, glancing back at Porzingis as he jogged away. The arena exploded. I wanted to kill him, Porzingis says with a laugh, adding that he was never that consistent at Doncic's age. I don't know any other European kid that plays at such a high level. In truth, Doncic isn't just outplaying the other teenagers in Europe. He's also outplaying most, if not all, of the adults. He signed with Real Madrid at age 13 and made his EuroLeague debut at 16. Now at 19, he is averaging 22 points, 7.6 rebounds, and 7 assists per 36 minutes through April 5th, leading the second-best league in the world in player efficiency. Every month, throngs of scouts trek to Spain, hoping to glean new pieces of data that will help them calculate whether Dantich's worth matches his hype. Our reports are that he's the kind of guy who's very rare, one NBA executive says. On June 21st, Adam Silver will likely announce that Doncic has been selected near the top of the draft. If, as expected, Wonderboy lands in the top three, he'll become the first European player to do so since Andrea Bargnani was picked first in 2006. Porzingis, who was famously booed at his draft, went fourth in 2015. When this happens, some fans will inevitably protest. They'll bring up Arnjani and Darko Milicic, 
and Nicolas at Skidishvili, those cautionary tales that haunt European prospects like family secrets. They'll call Donchik soft, comparing him to players who superficially resemble him, and they'll bemoan the decision to choose him over a blue-chip NCAA prospect. Even if, as Porzingis contends, there's no other college kid that's able to put up those numbers in a EuroLeague game. At the moment, Porzingis explains, there's more hype around the Americans. But that'll change soon enough, he says. Real Madrid's sprawling campus, called Ciudad Real Madrid, sits about 14 miles north of the city. On a Monday morning, the only people walking the property are security officers. The grounds are so quiet you can hear lawnmowers rumbling over distant soccer fields. The organization, famed for its privacy, shields its athletes from the outside world like hothouse flowers. Its players rarely give interviews before they turn 18. After practice, Doncic emerges from the gym in sweats and Jordans, tailed by Allison, his American publicist, and Julio, a communications staffer from Real Madrid. In street clothes, his build is surprisingly dense. If Doncic had been born in Birmingham, Alabama, instead of Ljubljana, Slovenia, he might have played football. He shaved off his stubble in the days since his last game, and he looks apple-cheeked and angelic, like a boy in a Renaissance painting. When I put out the change in his appearance, Doncic, who speaks a fair amount of English, his Spanish is flawless, blushes. I seem like a baby without the beard, he says. Julio, dressed in a suit jacket with a tiny scarf knotted tight around his neck, a paperback copy of Winston Churchill's The Second World War in one hand, scurries to keep up with his charge. Doncic leads us to his car, an electric blue Porsche Panamera, the most beautiful car in the world, he jokes, with custom black rims. Before he turned 18, the legal driving age in Spain, his mother used to pick him up from practice. After stopping at a gas station, Doncic ducks into the convenience store and pops out with an armload of Snickers bars for us. We drive into Madrid. As Doncic careens around a turn, Julio shudders and rubs his glasses. Doncic glances at him and grins. Like most teenagers, he has a gift for trolling the adults in his presence. I'm gonna switch to racing, he deadpans. He swipes through a few rap stations until he finds one playing reggaeton, then cranks it up. Why are you torturing us, Julio says. A few minutes later, Doncic sings a few unprintable lyrics from Migos's Bad and Bougie. And when Julio sighs, Doncic smiles sweetly, gesturing toward me. I listen with the American people, he says. Traffic slows as we cruise through the center of the city, and some of the pedestrians stare at Doncic's car. He points out a Five Guys, the American fast food chain. It's amazing, he says. Two summers ago, Doncic spent two weeks in Santa Barbara, California, at P3, a sports science and workout facility that draws many NBA stars. The town reminded him of a Spanish village, he says. On the weekends, he took trips to Los Angeles with his mother and his girlfriend, who had flown in from Slovenia visiting Hollywood Boulevard, Rodeo Drive, he was impressed by the giant Nike store nearby, and Six Flags. L.A. is amazing for me. I especially like the amazing cars, he says. I was at Venice Beach for, what was the cereal there, Baywatch? And it was amazing. Aside from that trip, his only exposure to the States has been through American television. After watching all ten seasons of Friends last summer, he's working his way through How I Met Your Mother and is keen on visiting New York. Central Park, he says. Drink coffee. He knows a couple of New York Knicks, Porzingis and Bilirnan Gomez, who used to play for Real Madrid. In February, he'd be traded to Charlotte. Doncic says he mostly communicates with Hernan Gomez while playing the video game Call of Duty. I tried to play Call of Duty, and I got killed in one minute, Julio says. I asked Doncic whether he plans on adopting a nickname like Przingis's 3-6 Latvia, and he smiles mischievously. Swaggy L, he says.
both Julio and Allison groan. Swaggy, LD, he suggests. Doncic parks his car in a garage, then leads us to one of his favorite restaurants in Madrid, the Hard Rock Cafe. He folds his massive frame into a seat in the corner, across from a rack of televisions playing kiss videos. Julio and Allison sit across from him, and his Spanish agent, a former Real Madrid player named Cuique Villalobos, sits at a nearby table. A waiter approaches, wearing suspenders sagging under the weight of a dozen buttons. Doncic, speaking in Spanish, orders the famous fajitas, they're amazing, he tells me, and a plate of nachos. Con doble queso, he says. After his food arrives, I ask Doncic if he ever hears from NBA fans on social media. He nods, blushing again. Some of them write, Tank for Luca, he says. I don't know, I just laugh. When he looks at their handles, he can tell they're from cities like Chicago, Orlando, Phoenix, Dallas, places he's never seen, much less pondered as part of his adult life. He's reluctant to talk about his future. Real Madrid's season is only halfway over, and some of the team's fans still believe he'll stay another year. You never know what can happen in the future, Doncic says, stealing a glance at Julio, who is staring at his phone. I want to concentrate on where I am. While Doncic is exceptionally vibrant on the court, his games are punctuated by raucous celebrations and passionate fits, one of which recently resulted in an expulsion, he betrays little emotion off of it, especially when pressed to discuss his own accomplishments. He's quick to deflect serious inquiries with dry humor. Bilalobos describes him to me as guarded, the polar opposite, he says, of Dragic. The player uses the same agency. I ask him how they're dissimilar. I'm prettier, Doncic interrupts. Bilalobos rolls his eyes. He's much more private, he says. Goran? He shows love immediately. Luca needs to know you for five years. While we're talking, Allison calls Dragic, who has stayed in touch with Doncic since Eurobasket, mentoring him as he prepares for the NBA. Seconds later, his beaming face appears on her phone. She hands it to Doncic, who prompts his friend to take off his hat and show him his new haircut. They chat in Slovenian for a minute, and Doncic bursts into laughter. After he hangs up, I ask him what Dragic told him. He said, we're losing in Miami, so you can come, he says. The first draft pick to go straight from Eastern Europe to the NBA was a Bulgarian named Georgi Glushkov, a hulking forward known as the Balkan Banger, who flamed out of the league after one season, 1985-86. to For years afterward, the stereotype of European basketball players as slow and weak persisted, even as Tony Kukoc, Drazen Petrovic, and Vladi Divac thrived in the NBA. Then in the early 2000s, the success of Mavericks draft pick Dirk Nowitzki spurred a run on foreign recruits. In 2003, NBA teams drafted a then-record 21 international prospects. At the time, league executives now concede they were casting around blindly. Many teams lacked the infrastructure to evaluate foreign players, as well as the savvy to help them ease into life in the States. While some of the players who came over became genuine stars, like Manu Ginobili and Pau Gasol, the botched draft picks cast an oversized shadow. Kwame Brown's failure doesn't hang over American prospects the way Milicic's story lingers for Eastern Europeans. Years passed. Prospects improved. In 2013, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Rudy Gobert entered the league. A year later, Dario Saric, Yusuf Nurek, and Clint Capella were drafted. The recent surge in European imports is no accident, according to Maurizio Gherardini, a former assistant GM in Toronto, who is now the GM of Fenerbahce, Turkey's EuroLeague team. It reflects a progressive change in approach. NBA clubs are ready to absorb the talent coming in, he says. Others point to an evolution in the NBA itself. I think it helped that along the way the rules changed, Nowitzki says. 
After the league outlawed aggressive physical play, the NBA's focus moved from power to finesse, shifting closer to the international game. All of that obviously plays into the hands of some Europeans, he says. Even so, some teams are still apprehensive about picking Europeans near the top of the draft. While few would admit to typecasting foreigners, it's undeniable that they're more familiar with college stars. One executive speculates that his peers are more afraid of picking a European bust than an American one, simply because people will make a bigger deal out of it. Another says it can be hard to persuade owners who are quick to bring up names like Bargnani. It's not like seeing a movie because you saw one five years ago that sucked, and you haven't seen one since, the executive says. If they follow college basketball, they're so much more comfortable with the known. Ironically, Doncic might be the most known quantity in basketball. He's been seen, studied, evaluated by everyone, says Garardini, who jokes, I was aware of him since he was born. Given his age, Doncic's production is almost unprecedented. Rotations in the EuroLeague run deeper than they do in the NBA, which makes it hard for young players to tally meaningful minutes. Several executives told me that the typical EuroLeague team would crush collegiate competition. According to ESPN's Kevin Pelton, Doncic has the highest wins above replacement player, Warp, projection of any European prospect since 2006, when data became available. Based on Pelton's calculations, which take into account age and how other European prospects' statistics have translated to NBA production, Doncic's Warp projection isn't just higher than Ricky Rubio's and Nikola Jokic's. It's also the highest projection on record, even besting that of a young Anthony Davis. By the numbers alone, Doncic is practically a sure thing. But among league insiders, the question isn't whether the Slovenian teenager will bust. Almost no one thinks that. Rather, it's whether his ceiling is high enough to justify drafting him above the likes of DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley III. While Doncic is hardly plodding, he isn't exceptionally quick or strong. His body is physically mature, so you worry about how much more it can change, how much upside he can have, says one front office staffer. When teams have sent their best athletes to stop him, he's struggled at times to break free. On the other side of the ball, he's a diligent defender, but he isn't agile enough to keep up with nimble guards. And yet, when NBA insiders criticize Doncic's game, they're quick to add that they're nitpicking. He might be limited on defense, but he can still play multiple spots on the floor, sliding seamlessly into the league's amorphous lineups. When Doncic has the ball, it feels like he's been given a flashlight while everyone else on the court is fumbling in the dark. He sees passing angles before they materialize, making him deadly in the pick-and-roll. His game is much older than his age, explains one front office higher-up. All of the stupid cliches you're going to hear, it's because they're all true. Dantich's shooting percentages have declined over the course of the long season, 31% from three, 47% overall through April 5th. But his mechanics are sound, suggesting fatigue and shot selection might be undermining his natural ability. In December, during a EuroLeague game against Belgrade's Servena Zvezda, Doncic doesn't seem tired, but his lack of speed shows up at times. When he hustles back on defense, he lumbers a bit, footsteps thudding on the floor. It would be absurd to call him unathletic, but he isn't graceful. He uses his body to carve out space like a person butting into a conversation. Then, just when one is tempted to make too much of this apparent lack of finesse, something clicks. Real Madrid weaves together a series of screens, and Doncic cuts inside, then sinks a jumper. A couple of possessions after that, he disrupts a shot and sprints across the court, dunking off a lob and dangling from the rim for a moment like a fish wriggling on a hook. He likes doing that, murmurs his agent, Bill Duffy, who is sitting to my left. 
Seconds later, he shakes a defender and hits a step-back three, then a pair of free throws, then one more three-pointer. In five minutes, Doncic has scored 12 points. When the second quarter begins, Doncic's scoring slows and the howling in the arena subsides, until he pulls off a move so astonishing I didn't realize what actually happened until I returned to the States and rewatched the tape. A few minutes in, he dribbles behind the arc, where he's double-teamed by a pair of Serbian team defenders. They close in on him, raising their arms like children pretending to be mummies. When Doncic tries to elude them, he falls backward and, in the process of tumbling, lobs the ball more than 25 feet to an open teammate in the low post, setting him up to score. The announcer giggles. There isn't much to say. Doncic and his mother, Miriam Poterbin, live in a quiet suburb of Madrid, in a modern house inside a gated community. On a rainy afternoon, Doncic is watching TV in Slovenian in his living room, sprawled on a sectional in a classic teenage pose. Body supine, chin resting on chest, hands fused to his phone. Near the sofa, there's a desk with an ergonomic chair designed for gaming. Doncic says he spends two to three hours a day playing video games like FIFA and Overwatch. Most of the time, when I get home, I see Luca playing, Hernan Gomez says. Miriam moved here two years ago to live with him. He is very mature because of his life, to go away so early. But when he's at home, he's a teenager. Doncic was born in Ljubljana, where his father, Sasha, played for a top basketball club. As a young boy, he used to mop the floor at Sasha's games, occasionally taking shots during timeouts. His parents split up when Doncic was eight years old, and from then on, Miriam, a former model who opened a beauty shop, was his primary caretaker. Today, Sasha coaches a club in Slovenia. When asked to elaborate on their relationship, Luka declines. Doncic enlisted in one of the country's basketball programs when he was nine. Fifteen minutes into his first practice, the coaches moved him to the other side of the gym, where the older boys played. The club's coach, Jernaj Smolnikar, says Doncic's game as a child resembled his style of play as an adult, not because he could perform marvelous feats, but because he knew they were possible. He always saw a pass that everybody else didn't see, or had the courage to shoot a step-back three, Smolnikar says. For the first three years, he wasn't able to do it, but you could see the talent in him. By the time Doncic was a six-foot-two, thirteen-year-old, his physical powers had caught up with his mental ones. Like most athletic prodigies, he was comically dominant. If you had never watched a minute of basketball in your life, you could pull up online a grainy highlight reel of his 54-point showing at an Italian tournament in 2012, set inexplicably to Bruce Dickinson's Tears of the Dragon, and immediately recognize that the blonde kid ripping off behind-the-back passes was going to be a star. Doncic shrugs when asked about the game. I was taller than almost everybody. Not long after that tournament, Real Madrid flew him and his mother to Spain, where the team offered Doncic a multi-year contract, making him one of the youngest players the club had ever recruited from outside the country. For Miriam, the decision to send him away was agonizing. I said, maybe you can wait a little bit, she says. He said, Mom, I want to go. On her first flight back to Slovenia without him, she wept so violently that the flight attendants had to comfort her. Doncic, who rarely admits to feeling any sort of stress, acknowledges that the adjustment to life in Spain was surprisingly painful. At the time, he says, he spoke no Spanish, I just knew hola and guitar, and had to communicate with his first coach using his hands. He lived in a tiny dorm room with two boys from Spain and Bosnia, spending most of his waking hours in class or practice. For the first three or four months, it was so hard, he says. Several of the NBA executives I spoke with characterized Doncic's upbringing as an advantage. They're similarly enthused that he spent time in locker rooms with veterans. 
Dragic, who lived with Doncic during Slovenia's Eurobasket run, says he was amazed by how well the younger player adjusted to his role on the team. I was kind of skeptical at first. How am I going to play with Luka? We're both ball-dominant guys. But in the end, we coexisted perfectly, he says. Like Dragic, Igor Kokosov, the Utah Jazz assistant who coached Slovenia, marvels at Doncic's precociousness. Leadership and presence on the court, you can't coach it, he says. In some ways, he explains, Doncic's background has molded him into the player he is today, a teenager who sees and thinks and moves on the court like a much older man, exhibiting none of the self-doubt that normally comes with inexperience. But it's also shaped him in unknowable ways. He kind of missed some parts of his life, his basketball childhood, Kokosov says. He had to grow up fast. Doncic concedes that while spending his formative years more than 1,000 miles away from his family and friends, there were times when he thought about quitting. But every person pursuing a sport thinks, I wish I was a normal teenager, he says. I ask him what he would do if he couldn't play basketball. Maybe sing, he says, smiling. Then he shakes his head. I never thought. Around the time that the NCAA tournament begins, Doncic strains his hamstring, a minor injury that sidelines him for a few weeks. On a Friday afternoon, he drives to Ciudad Real Madrid to receive treatment, then meets me at a quiet Spanish restaurant near his house. We grab a table in the corner. This time, it's just the two of us, and he orders an Americano. When I point out a group of fit-looking men sitting near the front, Doncic explains that they play for soccer club Atletico Madrid. Once a year, he says, the basketball and soccer teams of Real Madrid gather for dinner. I ask him what he thinks of Ronaldo's celebrity. He is too famous, he says. He can't go on the street. Doncic can walk through Madrid without drawing much attention, but he's already a star in his home country. Thousands of Slovenians trekked to the Eurobasket Championship in Istanbul, taking 15-hour bus rides to watch the national team win its first title. It isn't uncommon to see kids in Ljubljana wearing bootleg Doncic jerseys, and the local news outlets track his every move. Miriam's cousin Dolman told me that the young star is the most famous person in Slovenia. After Dragic, Melania Trump, and the woman who taped money to her body in The Wolf of Wall Street. While the average American fan hasn't heard of Doncic, he's already something of a darling among NBA draftniks, subject to countless message board debates. Over the past few months, a number of his highlights have sent tiny shockwaves overseas, including, but not limited to, a successful full-court heave, an ankle-breaking dribbling sequence, and a basket he made while running behind the hoop, flicking it in as casually as someone might toss a piece of tissue paper into a garbage can. It didn't count because the play had stopped. I ask him if he's avoided the drumbeat of pre-draft rankings, and he cradles his coffee cup in his giant hands. I'm trying, but I look, he admits. They'll say, oh, you're so good, you're so good. Then you play one game bad and you're terrible, he says. I'm trying to read less. Without his entourage of minders hovering over him, Doncic seems more open and relaxed. When he mentions that he closely follows the NBA, I ask him what goes through his head when he watches games, and he chuckles. That could be me, crossed over. He says he likes the pace of play and the prevalence of the pick-and-roll. His favorite players are LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, but he's enjoyed watching Ben Simmons. I think we are, like, similar, you know? He says. He can play point guard, he can play forward, he can play a lot of stuff like LeBron. The next few months will be a whirlwind. After the lottery on May 15th, Doncic won't have time to fly to the States to do any workouts. Real Madrid's season could last into June, which means he might miss the draft. He plans to return to Santa Barbara this summer to work on his speed and explosiveness, as well as his defense. 
When I ask him if his mother will move to America with him, he murmurs, maybe, then corrects himself and says yes. But if she will move, we will move to different apartments, he says, sitting up a little straighter in his chair. Your life is going to be so different in a year. Maybe, he says, if everything goes right. What does that seem like to you? He pauses for a few seconds, lowering his big blue eyes. It's amazing, but you don't know. He insists that uncertainty doesn't frighten him. I just want to play basketball, he says. In a few months, he'll get on a plane and fly across the world to a city he's probably never seen, stepping into a light that will grow only brighter. From that point on, everything he encounters will be strange and new, except for the thing he treasures the most, the facet of his life that's changed the least. When I ask him why the game makes him happy, he gives me a quizzical look, and I briefly wonder whether I have to reword the question so he'll understand it. Because I love doing it, he says. Then he finishes his coffee and rises from his chair, leaving the restaurant unnoticed, perhaps for the last time. ESPN's Tim McMahon contributed to this report. Joining me now is ESPN senior writer Mina Kimes. Mina, thank you for coming to us live from Los Angeles and taking the time. Okay, Mina, let's get the knocks out of the way first. I don't want to sound negative on Luka Doncic, as well as all the other doubts of anyone coming from Europe, where he might be putting up numbers, but the grind of the NBA will eventually overwhelm him. You know, even Porzingis in January, uh, you know, confessed how tired he was. I mean, this is, I mean, he got, eventually got hurt. He was lost, blew out his knee, but he confessed on how tired he was between, between, before being lost for the season. So I guess not just from the, um, the, his predecessors, but how will Doncic be different, do you think? Well, it's obviously impossible to say with any certainty, but based sure. on what Luca's done so far, uh, in the EuroLeague, in the ACB, and, you know, just as a kid in Europe, it's unprecedented. Like, statistically, no one has done what he has accomplished already playing at that level with grown men as a mm-hmm. 17, 18, now 19 year old. You know, we talk about some of the great Europeans in the league right now. Porzingis, uh, Nikola Jokic, we saw what he just did. None of them approached Luca's level of production. So, that, you know, we don't want to call him a sure thing. He's not a sure thing. You can never say that of anyone. But based on the numbers right. alone, he is like a high certainty prospect. Now, not just the uh, the culture shock of a new league and a new country, but the NBA doesn't have like, you know, this, you know, like these like campuses, essentially, like, you know, like Real Madrid. Um, it doesn't and it doesn't necessarily the NBA won't shield its players from the press as much as um where like older players obviously will talk to the press, but it just seems that this controlled environment, do you think it's contributing to what he's able to do more than we think? And then the other part of that is instead of NBA fans or supporters criticizing that, like, shouldn't they try to steal that? Like, shouldn't there be like every G League team should like live in a gated campus? <laughs> there are a lot of uh, people who want the NBA or just basketball in America to embrace the academy model, especially right now as we're talking about what does the future of amateur basketball look like. And it seems more increasingly likely that we're going to see young stars go to the G League instead of going to college. There are a lot of proponents of that system. Uh, as far as how it's affected Luca, I think it's probably made him a better basketball player. You know, going back to what I was saying earlier about him playing with men, he's also lived with them. He's learned a lot from being in that professional atmosphere since he was 13 years old, living away right. from home, which is, 
uh, you know, something a lot of NBA teams think will actually be helpful when he comes here because there won't be any sort of cultural shock in the transition. You can never predict that, really. But, you know, it's also... um it could also make it harder for him. He's, he has a very cloistered existence right now. And as we detail in the piece, that's about to change quite a bit. Right. And you say, and it's interesting you say cloistered existence. It's almost, I mean, the parallels are opposite in many ways, but it's like, you know, a show like The Biggest Loser, where, if, you know, of course, if you are sequestered in a Malibu mansion where you are legally and contractually <laughs> not allowed to leave and only eat like Froyo, of course you're going to, you know, of course you're going to lose 75 pounds. So, <laughs> It's, you know, that's why when you see what happens when we put you back in the real world and what happens there. And going back, to, you know, when he seems very excited, like when he told you about some of the different things and he seemed very excited to kind of dive into America after getting a taste of Los Angeles on a training trip and, you know, binge watching New York based shows. But do you feel he's prepared to the reality of his, you know, you may end up playing in Sacramento or Phoenix. That they very don't, likely they'll end that, up yeah, playing where, in where, cities where, like that. Yeah. Where I don't think there are many Netflix shows you can binge watch about those places. And, and honestly, some people think that might be a good thing in some ways because it is very overwhelming to land in a, a New York or an L.A. or a Chicago, which is a little more realistic for him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some advantages to playing in a smaller town, you know, kind of not – just sort of feeling less overwhelmed by the city and all of the changes. To me, what's far more important than what city he plays in or where he ends up is just the basketball situation, the coaching situation. Right. Because I do think with these young kids who go at the top of the draft, I look at Devin Booker and Phoenix as an example, it can be very difficult to be, to go from Real Madrid, which is this winning team with this like, you know, tradition to mm-hmm. a, a losing team that's, that has been tanking because that's probably where he's going to end up. Right. And he seemed, he does seem like the struggle that I felt from getting out of reading what your time with him. He seems like he's, he's grounded by not letting his, you know, bright future infect the present because he still needs to play for Real Madrid at least through June. But it seems like that's an impossible task for a 19 year old to do. Like it seems like that's like a constant struggle. Did you feel that that was, you know, he's getting, messages from people like, you know, we're losing, so you can come here and all that, that that is like in your experience with him, was that a constant struggle for him to sort of keep that at bay while still trying to focus on Real Madrid? I think so. I mean, as much as it's a struggle for any 19 year old kid who is aware that his life is about to change in a very big way, but he doesn't Mm -hmm. quite grasp the extent of it, especially living overseas. I think, you know, when, some of the college stars, they kind of have a little bit of a taste of it. I think, you know, March Madness and being yes. a big man at Duke or something, it's a little bit different for him. And he does, I don't know if he quite grasps sort of the enormity of what's about to happen to him, the level of fame he's about to walk into. But he's definitely, um, part of having, you know, grown up in this Real Madrid environment is that I think he, it's not that hard for him to focus on Real Madrid season right now, uh, which is, going to be challenging. You're right. When the draft comes, he could be in the playoffs. He might miss the mm-hmm. draft, as I say in the piece. And I think that that is going to present a, a challenge for him because who wants to It's such a tremendous moment, especially for a top three pick. And he is going to have to stay focused on the European basketball tournaments. You made a really great point of something I've always, I've often thought of, but you've made a really great point of how saying, uh, in saying that Kwame Brown's failed career doesn't hang over you know, young 19-year-old prospects like Darko's does for anyone coming out of Europe. Like, in 
in preparing this piece, like, why do you think that actually is the case? Like, why do you think there is such a double standard on that? I think a lot of it is pattern recognition. You know, we just look for, especially when it comes to subgroups, you look for things like categories that you can place people into, um, and bias creeps into it. And there's a little bit of xenophobia as well, but by far, I think it's, it comes down to familiarity. So, mm-hmm. You know, one thing that surprised me, Michael, when I was reporting this was talking to some of the NBA executives who are, you know, tremendously sophisticated and have been overseas, have been watching this kid since he was young, and them telling me that actually some of their owners and even some people who work in the league are still wary of picking a European bust because of the busts in years past. I was like, really? Like, you don't, you have all of this statistical evidence, you don't, there's no reason why they should still feel that way or be more sensitive right. to a European bus versus an American bus, like a Jaleel Okafor. And I remember someone, one of them telling me, well, you know, no one's going to remember Okafor in the same way they'll remember if you take a Doncic number one or two and it goes south. And I, and I think they're all, everyone's sort of deeply cognizant of that in a way that um, is not entirely fair to Europeans. And it's also, I've also, the pattern you've also seen is, for is you know they say oh you know you want to be a guard in the NBA you know how many positions of you know there's only so many of them in the NBA well there's only one GM for every team like there's only one of those jobs and so some of those guys are men and women behind those decision making there is a fear that if there's a hype on someone and you and you don't believe it and you don't take them and they're a superstar and you could have had them that also was what burned you too it's like what burned the Pistons. And Joe Dumars with Darko isn't so much Darko failing is the fact that Carmelo Anthony didn't. And that's, and that's sort of like, that's part of the nervousness of like, well, I guess I have to make, take a flyer on this guy because of the fact that like, I want to keep my job because there's only like 30 of these that I could really ever get. Yeah. And I, I think that and the, I want to say, was it Pau Gasol who, there, there was a European player. Yeah, he was third in 2001, I feel mm-hmm. like. And, and I want to say there was some American busts before and after them. But, you know, I don't think that same dynamic exists in reverse where – or at least not to the extent where a guy who picks an American before or just after is going to be – well, he missed on Pau Gasol because there's this, there was this assumption and maybe continues to this day that that's it's, – it's a lot harder to find a Pau Gasol. So you shouldn't right. be held as accountable. And it, it's very interesting – how logic kind of works in that way, even though it really shouldn't. Yeah, just for the record, uh, that year it was Kwame Brown, who we just mentioned, Tyson Chandler, and then Pau Gasol, followed by after him? Eddie Curry. Ah, that's who I was trying to think of, Eddie Curry, yeah. Straight out of high school, Eddie Curry, who um, I believe once ate 400 hot dogs before a game for the Knicks. <laughs> Don't Google that. It might not be true. Anyway, <laughs> uh, well – well, you also like you. Um, Dirk Nowitzki uh, is mentioned, and you know he's sort of now the elder statesman of Europe, and he and he makes and he also makes a great point of how much the NBA has shifted to a more international game because it's less of a physical game. And like that was a great point I feel because I think you could actually see that not with the European players come over, but more actually with how good the Warriors are because while they aren't necessarily loaded with European talent, like could you imagine how this version of the Warriors? would have fared against like the late eighties Pistons. Like that would have been not pretty for the Warriors because of what they would have been allowed to like Steph Curry would have driven the lane once and would have been like, Nope, that's it. I'm done. Thank you. And if this shift continues, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. 
I was gonna say I think it changes the kind of players that um are elevated in the draft as well. You know, there's a lot obviously a huge focus on bigs who can shoot threes and have skill that maybe wasn't there a few years ago, maybe it didn't even exist as a skill, um, as predominantly as it does today. And it will affect sort of the types of guys that these teams are looking for, um, whether it helps or hurts Dodgers is kind of interesting because, you know, you'd think, oh, well, it, it helps him because he's obviously his skill is his greatest asset, um, his passing, his basketball IQ, things that are valued in this current iteration of the NBA but he is a, he's a little bit different from some of these great Europeans who are coming over, you know, the, the Jokic's, the Nurkic's, whatever, because he mm-hmm. is six foot eight or six foot seven. Yeah. And he, you know, he's not one of those skilled bigs. So he's a little bit different in some ways. And I think it's going to be interesting to see whether a guy with his profile can go one or two. Right. And if this, and if this shift does continue, you can almost argue, like we were saying before, like, can American prospects keep up over time? Because in the advantages of Europe, for something as this evolves are huge because, I mean, I think we could all agree that um, the collective psyche in America would lose their minds and would like lead all the morning news shows as mainstream news <laughs> if some NBA team signed someone at 13 to develop them and put them on some like cloistered campus where that's just a might, way of life. It might be a good idea. <laughs> no, yeah. you're exactly right. But it just yeah, seems, it, it just seems interesting, interesting that, uh, that yeah, this whole method of development is like shifting the way it is. Yeah. And, and then the question of, okay, so why are we no longer seeing as many, you know, the, I mean, there's still some European guys who come over and aren't successful immediately. Dragon Benders one, mm-hmm. right. But I think it's too early to put in a call on him. Uh, and the same way, you know, we saw his own, yeah, have like a nicer season, but yeah. it's undeniable that it's trending better, right? You can point to so many guys from Europe who have been thriving um, on playoff teams and succeeding in, in the NBA. And I, I think there's a bunch of reasons for that. One of which is, as you mentioned, the change in the nature of the game and sort of what Dirk pointed out. But there's the teams are just better at this. Like they, yeah. like in 2000, when they were chasing after these guys, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have the infrastructure, not only to bring them in and absorb them, but to even find them and evaluate them. And that's right. what's so unique about Doncic is like they know everything about him. Everything. There's not, there's no, nothing left to undercover. You know, there's no grainy film. Like they've watched him play for <laughs> years. There's no secrets left over in Europe. Exactly. Yeah. And with, you know, and then seeing how whoever the Nick Doncic is, like some 13 year old kid somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Europe, everybody at that game, like probably has in their hands what you could call it a smartphone or you could call it a portable audio video studio that could broadcast whatever just happened to the world. Which is also some of the thing, one of the things you mentioned in the piece. And that's why I thought it was so interesting that he was a little bit grounded where he said, well, of course I did that well. I was the tallest person there. Like I had, I wasn't that great. It was just that I was taller. But he also, uh, but moving forward to like what he's going to be doing, he, uh, or his, how his, how you keep saying his life is going to change. Like everyone knows that, but he, but he mentions how the Real Madrid basketball and soccer teams sort of get together. For dinner once a year and, you know, the brief expo- uh, exposure to Ronaldo. But then, um, you know, where here he is, like you're in the Porsche and like you're stuck in traffic or he likes to, you know, get the double queso over at the Hard Rock and points out, oh, I love going to Five Guys and the coffee shop. I mean, those are things that if everything goes according to what he would like to have happen in his career, like those are going to sort of be off the table in many ways. Like, I mean, is he prepared for any of that to be taken taken away from him? Should everything work out? 
maybe not if he ends up in Sacramento or Phoenix. But, uh, yeah, no, but I, I agree. The, the level of fame and the way his life, like, I, I don't think he gets it, but I don't think anyone gets it, right? Like, I, I you know, I've written about American college kids and met American college kids who are sort of in this, a similar situation and, Maybe they understand a little bit more because they've sort of witnessed it and they're sort of familiar through, you know, social media here, although he has access to that as well. Yep. But how prepared can any teen really be for that? And, and he's, he's got like 500,000 followers on Instagram, most of whom are mm-hmm. Europeans. Like he is famous. This is, you know, he's not, they are not plucking him from the Netherlands of like wherever Giannis was found, you know, like right. he's, he lives in Madrid. I mean, I saw him get, he's not obviously not a Ronaldo, but he gets recognized and stopped. That's going to change. It's going to be amplified, but I think he is pretty pr- as prepared as probably you can get for somebody coming out of, you know, Europe. Well, it is, I mean, to your point, I mean, not just that he's 19. I know he's been seasoned, as you said, like very beneficial. That he's been living with these veterans and, Hold, not just holding his own them, but just socially and growing up as a person. Because if you think about it, uh, who is prepared for that? Like how, like you hear about somebody like their thirties or forties, like they win Powerball, but then also with like the 400 cable channels we all have, there's always like some show on the learning channel about like I won a half a billion dollars and I lost it all. I mean, so yeah. I mean, like no one's until you're in it, like you don't realize that every blessing sort of has a little bit of a curse to it. But it just it's um it just seems that he is like when you look at all the other uh you know you pieces people you mentioned the piece like going all the way back to when like the Phoenix Suns drafted a player from Europe and he only lasted a year, it just seems like uh Doncic is like the the he was like made in some sort of like basketball lab of like all the mistakes of the past are sort of been you know, corrected and like, don't no, don't do that, don't do that, and then here we go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think um, that's funny. The basketball lab was actually a phrase that I was thinking when I met him as well. So <laughs> I, yeah, I, I had the exact same thought. It is, although it would, they probably would have grown him a little bit taller and stronger, but, um, <laughs> it, but otherwise he is kind of the perfect player. And, and, and yeah, I, I think um, it is, I, I guess I, I keep telling people, and it's funny because the piece ended up with this Darko headline, but... Mm-hmm. It's so hard to find a comp for him, not just because of his background, but also because of his style of play and yep. who he is. Like, I talked to a bunch of NBA guys, and, and most of them didn't want to give me comps, which NBA guys love giving comps, like, but they yeah, were the so afraid of getting it wrong. Yeah, it, it was, first of all, they were all over the board. I don't think I heard the same one twice, so I hesitate to even give one because I don't think there was one that I heard more than once. Um, which speaks volumes. It's so it's unusual. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's insane. It's bizarre. And, and, it's 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 going to be interesting to watch him next season. I think for that reason, just to see how his game translates here and who he does look like, because um, it, it's so hard to predict based on everything he's already done. Now, for him, as far as like for filming or what, like, is it is it NBA or bust? Or if he feels like things are just not working out, because to your point earlier, I mean, like he could get you know somebody could take him best available, and he could sort of get, for lack of a better word trapped in what we've heard is it mba or bust for him like as far as what he wants to accomplish or could, i mean because like we've heard we've seen it in football we've seen it in basketball like he could get drafted by someone taking the uh, a team taking the philosophy of like just take the best player available where as you said earlier 
you know, sometimes you could be in the wrong system. You could have the wrong coach. You could have an ownership system, uh, ownership situation that isn't stable enough that as we've learned through the years, like a stable ownership situation really, really does help in today's modern, um, today's modern sports world. It really needs to start from the top, the stability and giving like the coach and the GM the patience and vote of confidence. So he could be stuck in a bad situation. And if he is stuck in one, is he willing, like, you know what? Like, I'll just come back home if things don't work out. I'll come play in Europe again. That's fine by me. I think it would be shocking if that happened within mm-hmm. the next 10 years, maybe oh. next eight years or something. I mean, it would be a tremendous disappointment um, for whoever picks him to right. have this not work out, given, you know, I I, I think it's almost a given. He, he's probably going to go in the top three. Top mm-hmm. five would be pretty surprising. So given how much hype there is around him, that would be very surprising. One thing that was amazing to me while reporting this is I got the chance to talk to some of the European guys, um, Chris Tapps and, and Billy Hernan Gomez, who knows him, uh, and they all really want him to succeed. Because, you know, Chris Tapps, you might remember, he was booed at his draft. And oh, yeah, big time. Those, you know, they the are sick of booed. the stereotypes, too. Yeah, and, and so... They see him as continuing down the path that they've already cleared in some ways. And so right. they, they want that, you know, progression to continue. And if he were to fail, I think it would really, to our earlier discussion about sort of the effect that a singular failure can have on European prospects, it would be, uh, uh terrible for European prospects in the future, unfairly. Now, do you think his expectations are more measured or is he like, as we said earlier, is he fighting like the sky's the limit? It can be hard to tell with him. Um, he's, it, it, I mentioned this in the story. He's, he's, it's interesting because he's so emotional and kind of demonstrative on the court, but he's actually quite private and I don't want to say an introvert, but he's, mm-hmm. he's definitely not an expressive team in some ways. He's funny mm-hmm. and dry and smart, but he's not, he doesn't share a lot about like kind of what he's feeling and his fears and his concerns. But to, and so to hear him tell it, he's not concerned at all. He feels zero pressure. Um, which obviously inclined to disbelieve. It's an incredibly high pressure situation, but it actually, it's something that manifests itself on the court. One of the number one thing I heard from NBA guys about him, maybe secondarily to the basketball IQ that impressed him was he shows no signs of jitters or anxiety that they normally see with 19 year olds. Like he, mm-hmm. in the Eurobasket tournament and then now playing in the Euroleague with grown men is always wants to take that last shot and right. doesn't sort of shy away from the moment. So if that's any indication, I don't think he's going to be very nervous when he comes to the U.S. Well, we'll all be watching. We'll be watching the draft lottery and then all the expectations that go with and extrapolations and whatnot that go with that. And I'm anxious to see what he uh, he can do when he finally steps on the court. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll pull him into some sort of a <laughs> summer league and that'll sell out. But it'll be... Uh, oh, yeah. It'll be it'll be fantastic to see what he does. There's gonna be a lot of pressure on him right at the beginning, and I think that'll be the biggest test. If he struggles mm-hmm. at the jump, um, there's gonna be more, I think, criticism than there would for you know if uh, DeAndre Ayton or Mo Bamba struggles. Right, and so yeah, basically saying that the critic's patience is much shorter than maybe even his own for his own progression. It's gonna be interesting to see how he deals with that. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mina. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. I hope to see you soon, probably wearing a some sort of a, a Doncic jersey, wherever he may end up.
Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories Podcasts.